Welcome to another edition of Jumping Around, a steeplechase podcast on thisishorseracing.com. I'm your host, Joe Clancy, and today's guest is Guy Torsaliri from the Far Hills Races. And if you don't know the Far Hills Races, you really ought to. It is the premier steeplechase meet in North America, and it dates back more than 100 years. And in all that time, it has become the peak of American steeplechasing. The races were October 20th this year, set an American record of $900,000 in total purses, and hosted foreign participants from England and Ireland, had full parimutuel wagering this year, and um, the man, he's not the only man behind it, one of the men behind it is Guy Torsaleri, and uh, welcome to the show, Guy, thanks for uh, joining us. Have you recovered from your race meet? No, we're still <laughs> we're still in the process of cleaning up the 290-acre field that was saturated with two weeks of rain before a whole fall of rain. So we're uh, we're still patching it back up. But it was a great day of racing. Yeah, which is the important part, and it's why you do it, right? I know it's a ton of work, and you know it it supports some great causes, and it's a great day of racing, which is why all the work is worth it. Yeah, it really is. I mean, we we've been talking about you know this was our 98th running. And we've been talking about having paramutual wagering at Far Hills for, I don't know, five, six years now. And we finally got it approved a couple of years ago down in Trenton. And then the real logistical issues really started kicking in. I mean, I had no idea how much I had bid off when we decided to do this. Again, we're in a field and we're going to convert that field into one day of 30, 35,000 people show up and you're going to be able to have paramutual wagering on it. And it was amazing because, you know, I was awake many nights at two o'clock in the morning, hoping that all the pieces that had to be connected, connected. And I was totally unaware of the number of pieces between the satellite trucks, the fiber optic wire, the tellers, the sound system, the fiber system, the TV consoles, the electrical inputs. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. And the most amazing part was... uh, Mammoth Park worked with us exclusively as it was Mammoth at Far Hills, and it went off without a hitch. Not one issue from any tellers. Both Mammoth Park and Far Hills are extremely proud that it went off without a hitch. It was pretty spectacular. Yeah, I was at the Maryland Million at Laurel, and I never thought in my lifetime I'd be standing there at Laurel Park watching steeplechase racing from anywhere next to Belmont Park and other tracks that were live uh, and be able to bet on it. So, yeah, it did work. What does the various partnerships, Mammoth, you mentioned Mammoth, and you also sort of had a pick four with New York and the various betting sites that came on board and carried the product. What does all that say about the future and say about the concept? Well, it's all a team effort in the thoroughbred racing world, right? You've got, so Mammoth Park, Dennis Drazen and his team and, and Bill Knopf worked with Far Hills to get the law passed through Trenton that would allow Mammoth Park to have two days of off-site wagering at different locations if they so chose. So we worked with them, and, you know, when we first started working with them, people were saying, oh, you know, why don't you just do this yourself? Having dealt with what I just dealt with, there's no way. If Far Hills was granted a license from Trenton, it would have taken years before we could have pulled off what we pulled off. Again, as I started with all the integration that's needed and the technical aspects that's needed was just phenomenal. But then it goes to, okay, so now we're part of the thoroughbred racing world. Our signal, as you saw, was Mammoth at Far Hills. So out of the 1,100 off-site locations that Mammoth has existing contracts with, if they so chose, they could pick up our signal. And the Dailing Racing Forum worked with us. I don't know if you saw that or not, but I mean, we were we were in there across the country 
Express Bed picked us up, Twin Spires picked us up. As you said, Naira approached us and said, would you be interested in doing a cross-country pick four, where it was the second division of our novice and our big race, and then two of their stakes races on, on their uh, breeders, New York Breeders' Day. So for them to come and ask us if we would be interested is great for horse racing and really great for steeplechase racing. Yeah, the crossover is great. I mean, and it was neat to see. And total handle on the day was 355000 And, you know, I think that's, from my standpoint, it sounds like a good number. I'll assume you guys were happy with that, too. We were. The on-site handle was 210, which uh, exceeded our expectations. And then the off-site was the Delta, which actually we were a little disappointed in. We would have thought that, that the off-site would have been higher. But there's a learning curve here. There's exposure that's needed. You know, as you know, we're wagering on Gold Cup as well down in Virginia. So I think as we get our product out there, I think the off-site will go up. The on-site, like I said, we were extremely happy with the 210,000. And the charts and graphs that I'm getting from Mammoth Park on where they were bad and how much was bad, and it's, it's fascinating. I'm already working on plans to make changes for next year to capitalize on even a larger on-site handle. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and what do, I mean, Mammoth is the experts in this type of thing. What do they tell you about it? Are they, you know, do they see potential to grow everything? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Bill Knopf about, I don't know, three, four weeks out before I said to him, I said, okay, What's the over under? He said, I won't give you the over under. I'll give you the I'll give you the morning line. I said, okay, what's that? I said, what's the handle going to be on site? And he said, two hundred thousand. And I said, I'll take the over. But you can see, I mean, they're the pros, right? To be yeah, right. ten thousand dollars, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, so he nailed it. But he also agrees that we have work to do in the outside world because he thought the handle everywhere else would have been a lot higher. Yeah. So I think it's uh, something we're going to transition into. It's going to be exposure. It's going to be getting flat people to get more involved. And I truly believe it'll grow over time between the exposure they get for you know the, the race meets in Virginia that have it and Far Hills and anywhere else we decide to expand to. Yeah, I mean, the um, Fair Hill races in Maryland where I am, they have had on-site wagering forever, and the idea of expanding it to, you know, off-track or to simulcasting is, is something they'd like to pursue, and th- this is a great model for it. So maybe it does, you know, it does breed some more things down the road, and you just touched on it too, exposure beyond the wagering aspect, just the exposure. If you tried to put together a TV show that went to as many places as you sent this, it would be very difficult to do. Yeah, it was a fabulous effort, um, and I think that with the exposure, with some other changes we'll make going forward that'll continue to grow the sport. Yeah, that's cool. Separate from the betting, your your card of racing was, you know, stellar, and it was the, the richest in American history, so we have to uh, change to history books, and Dueling Grounds goes to second, and Far Hills now is at the top. Uh, how does that feel? Finally. I've been looking <laughs> at that Dueling Ground number for a long <laughs> That number's been bugging me for a long time. I love Franny Abbott, but that number's been bugging me for a long time. No, it's great. It's great. As you know, we had eight, we had carded eight hundred and fifty thousand in purses. Philly and Mayor race didn't fill, and you know, for us to split the novice, I'm always as wearing my other hat as president of the NSA. Whenever we split, I'm adamant that you keep the purse the same. You know, you're advertising one hundred twenty-five thousand. You can't split it and come up with two hundred thousand dollar races. You know, you've advertised it. People are coming from wherever, whether it's from South Carolina or or England or Ireland, if they're going to compete for that number, you got to settle on that number. So I got help from a variety of sources to 
fund the additional 50 we needed, which was the delta after we dropped the filling mayor to the two $125,000 races, we did it, and it was spectacular. And the horsemen really loved it, and we were happy to do it. Yeah, I mean, and I know the horsemen appreciate that opportunity for sure. And we had, there were enough novices to split it in, in two, which has happened before, but to do it at that level was important, you know, and I think it shows some depth in the horse inventory and some depth in the creativity to try to try to do something like that. It would have been easy to say, well, Philly Meriden race didn't fill, let's save money and, you know, let those horses run somewhere else. So... I'm sure that went over very well. Yeah, no, it really did. And as I'm looking at all these charts that I'm being sent from Mammoth Park and looking at the handle, it, I now understand that field size definitely matters. Yes, <laughs> it's amazing. For sure. yeah. even, even with the rookie betters at Far Hills, the handle was substantially different with the six-horse field versus a uh, you know, an eight, nine, 10 or 12 horse field. Yeah, phenomenal. There's so much to know, I think, from that side, and, and it does make a difference for sure. At least some people who are listening to this have never been to Far Hills. How do you explain the race meet to, to new people, and, and why does it work? You know, leaving all this betting and stuff aside, why does it work as an event? So this was our 98th year. Wow. Yeah. So through that history, it's morphed from a day in the country, thanking the farmers for letting fox hunters run over their fields to slowly growing it into a festival-like atmosphere for the day to where we are today. And uh, we had just over 30,000 people on the property, which was down from last year and a little bit down from the year before. And that was done on purpose. We were going for quality over quantity. But it's, again, you have 30,000 people that show up one day a year for a spectacular day of racing. And we've generated close to $20 million now for local charities, and we'll continue to support them. And so between the purse money and the charities and the activity that we have on the property, it all works, and it's a great event. Yeah, I've run into people who I didn't know knew anything about it. They all call it the hunt, which is the local the local name for it. And it takes me a minute to go, oh, yeah, wait a minute. We do go to the same place, you know. And uh, the community event aspect of it with the tailgating and the families and the, just the various groups that are there is really special. It really is. It's become a major event in New Jersey. What's interesting about it is, as you know, as president of the NSA, we have 28 race meets up and down the East Coast. And... We are extremely fortunate and extremely unique in that I don't have any competition around me. Yes, I'm between Philadelphia and New York, and yes, I get the New York crowd and so forth, but the Saturday before and the Saturday after, I don't have a race meet competing for corporate dollars or even entertainment dollars because there's a race meet five miles down the road. And in a lot of different areas, that's what happens, and that's why some of these race meets are just smaller in size because they're nestled in communities where there's multiple race meets throughout the season. Yeah, you see that in Virginia for sure, and then in the Carolinas too, where yep. there'll be similar sponsors at all of them, and, and, and they're not necessarily putting all their money on one race meet. They're kind of supporting four or five, which, which again, yep. is part of the circuit. That's why it works. Yours, I love the reach of yours where I just bump into people who aren't horse people at all, and they've been, you know, which is fun. <laughs> Yeah, we had, a, I mean, we had an international crowd, as you were saying. We had horses fly in from Europe. Uh, we had people fly in from Europe, invitations to go to Cheltenham next year from people that were here and so forth. So it's, uh, I think we're growing the sport. I think we're doing a great job of getting the word out, not only at Far Hills, but all the other race meets. And uh, it's working nicely. How did you get this job as chairman of Far Hills? Because you're not necessarily a horse person way back or anything. 
how did I get this up? When I graduated Michigan State, John Von Stadi asked me to get involved. So I started putting up snow fence, and we cut the field once a year, whether it needed it or not. <laughs> and that was circa 1979-1980. And then John handed me this letter from the horsemen saying that they were going to boycott running at Far Hills because there were too many groundhog holes and divots and holes on the course. And it, and they were right. It was a very crude racetrack. We didn't own the land then. AT&T owned it. They let us use the land, but we really weren't take caring of it to uh, get it to the racing quality that John was looking to do. He asked me what it would take, and I basically told him just money. And we came up with a 10-year plan to improve the racing and improve the grass and the footing and everything. And the rest is history. Sort of <laughs> morphed into where it is today. Yeah, and it's a it's a world class turf course now. I mean, and and it gets the care that it it deserves and needs. I mean, I, I talk to you a little bit sometimes about the the work you guys are doing on it, and it's more than cutting it once a year. I know that. Yeah, well, it gets cut twenty eight times a year, just like your front lawn does. It gets irrigated when needed. My front lawn pressed. never looks like your race course, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I wish it did. <laughs> Well, let's see. Uh, Bill Gallo's front lawn. Okay, he, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, but it, so we take very, very good care of it. We're constantly, you know, like you said, we we top dress it with golf course mixture uh, after each race to help the permeability. I mean, we have very, very heavy soil up here, and we've been doing that for the last 15 years, which helps with the the drainage and so forth. And we really cut it up on Saturday. That's for sure. I'm but sure you we'll, did. Yeah. All right, Guy, we're going to take a short break and hear from our sponsor, Brown Advisory. From Tennessee to Maryland and Ascot to Cheltenham, Brown Advisory supports the hard work, dedication, and love for competition that defines the horse racing spirit. Brown Advisory has cheered from stables and fence lines since its founding in 1993 and is excited to share this passion through the sponsorship of this podcast and races across the U.S. and U.K. Visit brownadvisory.com to see how they can help you achieve your financial goals. And we're back on Jumping Around with Guy Torsolieri from the Far Hills Races and the National Steeplechase Association. Do you get a chance to appreciate it? And, you know, when does that happen? Probably not for a little while because the work is still there cleaning up. Yeah, you know, during the day I try to right. on Saturday, but it's there's just so much going on. Um, and then I'll watch the replays or I'll watch some advertising clips or PR clips and or the biggest satisfaction is the purses and then the money we give the charity. You know, we get, and that really gets to your heartstrings when you're, when you're doing the stuff you're doing for, whether it's the cancer center or some of the other Bonnie Bray or some of the other charities that we're supporting now, it, I mean, it really matters. That's what, it, you know, we're a 501c3, so everything goes back to charity and so forth. So that's the rewarding part. Yeah. And that part's fantastic. I mean, we, uh, horse people think of, of it as a horse race and the tailgaters think of it as a big party, but they all come together to raise significant money for great causes, which is, you know, t- to be commended for sure. The Somerset Medical Center, which is now part of the Barnabas system, many years ago, they actually dedicated the naming of their cancer center, which was a 60,000 square foot cancer center and named it the Steeplechase Cancer Center in our honor. We had a trophy case built in the lobby so most places you know the trophies are in in boxes or in a vault for 350 days a year they come out for the races and go back in and 
all these trophies are on display down there with pictures and stuff. So it's a great space, and it, it was their way of thanking us for everything we've done. Yeah, it's a great connection. And and like you said, that's got to be the rewarding part. When the dust settles or the mud gets cleared or whatever you want to call it, that, hey, this the, all this effort goes to something like that, which is cool. Yeah, it really is. All right, well, shift gears a little. Put on your NSA president's hat for a moment. We're almost finished the 2018 season, and it's an open-ended question, but what's the state of the American jump racing right now? It's, you know, everybody would love more opportunity, but I think there seems to be some stability in some areas now, which is a good sign. We've got some great, great opportunities on the horizon. We do need more opportunity. We do need more racing, but there's a number of things in the pipeline, whether it's the renovation of Fair Hill into a world-class equestrian center, whether it's, you know, Colonial Downs, it's going to open next year. And they've offered us steeplechase racing. We have a couple of other race meets, ones in Tennessee that would like to get up and started. So what we've done is, and you've heard this before, where, you know, you get a new race meet and, you know, you've written about it, Sean's written about it, where, and I've talked about it, where it's great that we get new race meets coming in the front door, but we've got to close the back door. We don't want to lose any more meets than we have. So you can't grow it if it's if you're losing them out the back door just as fast as you're bringing it in. And so the board actually has formed a futures committee uh, headed by Robert Bonney. And the goal is to come up with a five-year plan. And it's very specific in nature to grow the sport, retain race meets, big and small. The small ones are just as equally important as the large ones. Extend the season. Colonial Downs is already providing us with an opportunity to extend and expand the season next fall and work on strategic points on growing it. And I'm excited about it because it'll give us specific goals and objectives that we can shoot for. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and again, that's, we touched on it with Far Hills. Starting one of these is not an easy undertaking. So that's sort of, uh, you know, the idea of, oh, snap your fingers and make a new race meet. It doesn't happen like that. No, it really doesn't. But with all the race meets that we have, we started this new process where we were determined to get high-definition TV replays for the 28 race meets. And as you know, the NSA had a company that they used for years to adjudicate all the races. We went out, did an RFP, hired Steve Hankin and his group, and they're putting together proposals, and they're, they've actually started this fall. And they've been very successful in providing replay that it's up on our website that is high definition and incredible quality. I was watching Gold Cup this Saturday at home, and the feature timber race was, I don't know if you saw it, if you, were you there? No, I was not. I'm, I was uh, I was in Ithaca visiting Ithaca University with my son. So uh, I, missed, I missed another one. But I did. But like you, I did go back and watch it. And yeah, the footage is very impressive, for sure. The footage is incredible. Yeah. I mean, the clarity, the depth and scope of the lenses, the light contrast. I mean, that that give and take of the of the feature race with Doc Sabu and who was it? Who's the other? They, I mean, they went back and forth and back and forth. You would not have seen that if it wasn't for those camera shots, angles, and big boy lenses. You yeah. just wouldn't. No, he and he and Le Chevalier were the two horses, and yeah, it was it created this drama that anybody would appreciate which which just goes hand in hand with trying to grow the sport if you can show it like that yeah gotta help so the goal is is to continue to show these replays in in high def get the word out get more and more viewers to watch it work with the the smaller meets so that 
they're not encumbered with any additional costs to provide this service. And then through that, monetize the replays through advertising or viewership or whatever so that we, you know, we're live streaming at several race meets. The goal and objective would be to live stream at all of them. The issues we have is it's much easier to live stream when you can plug your Wi-Fi into your basement and you're hooked up to the grid, if you will. Being in the middle of the Pennsylvania Hunt Cup or even Bill Price's place yeah. at Queens Cup, he is miles away from fiber connection. So then you have to go to what's called OTT over the top, which is a, a satellite truck, and that adds costs and so forth. So we got to figure out a way to monetize our replays and our transmissions so that we can do that at race meets that are in remote locations or small race meets that can't afford it. The large race meets have, have got to pay for it for the small guys, and, and they do that through their entry fee tax, if you will. Yeah. Talking to Steve Hankin a little bit about it, it's all, hey, we've got to get everybody roped together with the same type of service first. Then can we branch out and do more live stream and get this, you know, get it up to another level, which, yeah, the technology challenges are going to be there, but it's in a better position to do it now than it's ever been. So I'm with you. I think it's got to help. It's got to help open some doors and just expose some people to the to the sport and the, the beauty of it and the athleticism of the horses and every other part. Absolutely. And he's teamed up with the plaid horse which has a very large viewership as you know and so i think once we get this product to point that it is transmissible and, and usable we've got a two-year contract with them starting in 2019 we'll be working very closely with them to to make sure that he's a success and the nsa is a success and the race meets are a success yeah to me you touched on it you can already tell with the quality of the of the replays and the live stream to me it's a it's a it's taken a step forward for sure like i said you would not have seen the excitement and the level of detail and the give and take in that race you would not have been able to see that without the cameras that he had and the quality of the transmission it would not have been anywhere near as exciting as it was yeah no, oh, and this is all still fairly cutting edge for horse racing. I mean, not every standalone racetrack in North America has high-def cameras. So it's a step forward and puts the NSA race meets on a level with Naira and with some of the other tracks that do it, which I think is great. So Naira has it, as you know. A lot of race meets don't. And you get real spoiled real fast after watching Naira replays or the Naira transmission, and then you, you pull up another race course and you're like, what is that? Oh, yeah, that's a horse running yeah. around in a snowstorm. <laughs> you know, and it was interesting. You know, the jockey club at the roundtable, I think, called for high def at all the racetracks. And we had four days or three days before that had just signed the contract with Steve Hankin and his group to do that at, at steeplechase meet. So there we go. Ahead yeah. of the curve once again. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> and uh, I've got to uh, rewind the clock a little bit. It's been a few years, but uh, you were lucky enough to be an owner and win the Grand National at Far Hills with Kelsen Ure several years ago. What was that like to win that race at your hometown meet with, you know, with a horse you own? It, it was great. I mean, it was spectacular. Your brother, I guess, interviewed me a couple of years ago and he asked me, so what was your best moment in steeplechasing? I'm like, Sean, you're, you're throwing me a pizza pie. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a layup. And he laughed and it, it was fabulous. I mean, he wasn't, if you watch the replay, he got very few calls in the race. Tommy Voss trained him for us. He was, a, he was a fabulous horse, French bread. And, uh, it was right after it was a blur. You were there because it was right after nine 11. Right. And so, 
I didn't have that much time to focus on what was going on because it was literally a month after and 42 miles away from the Twin Towers. But it was a spectacular day of racing, and, and you were there, and Tony Bentley singing the national anthem, and the speakers blow out, and everybody finishes the national anthem by singing it. And I think you talked about that at one point yeah. where, you know, you talk about it now, it still it makes your hair stand off on my arm right now. Uh, <laughs> yep, 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 yep. And it did, and yeah, 40,000 people finish the national anthem, which was great. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then you look in the, the top of the tower, and there's, you know, SWAT team guys on the roof. And, uh huh dog sniffing bombs because nobody at that point we still didn't know what was going on yeah no and the incredible power of the horse put us all there which is pretty cool yeah, and yeah, yeah yeah and he was a great i mean i've you know the replay of that was great Kelsignor was a fabulous horse and uh gave us a lot of victories it was fun any chance we'll see the silks back in action someday i i sure hope so yeah i got a few things in the in the iron right now that's keeping me on the sidelines but once i get them straightened out i clearly need to get back into the game awesome and uh all right now one last gear shift for those that don't know again torsaliri inc is the company responsible for the christmas tree at rockefeller center so i gotta ask the man who picks out the christmas tree how we doing this year you got one all ready to go you missed the release from yesterday <laughs> yeah i'm not on that list i don't think <laughs> <laughs> We started tying it up yesterday, and I asked everybody, you know, when are you going to release its location? And they said, oh, the New York Post already picked that up. It's already out. I'm like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's up in Wallkill, New York, and it's a heck of a project. I think this is our, like, 35th or 36th year we're doing it. Wow. Gets cut down on November 8th and gets transported to the Rockefeller Center, and it will be set up on Saturday the 10th of November. I <laughs> love it. Uh, a little like Far Hills. How on earth did you get that job? Right? I don't know. <laughs> Just uh, one of those other, you know, in the right spot at the wrong time or the right spot at the right time or I just, I don't know. A number of years ago, I thought it'd be kind of cool on the resume and uh, it is. Yeah. It's a fun, fun project. It I'll really bet. Is. I'll bet. Yeah. And I'm sure it's very, it's a little like the race meet, although uh, a little different, but just as nerve wracking and then very much a self, uh, you know, a, a great accomplishment when everything's finished. Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, don't pay attention to the guy behind the curtain, right? right. You've got all this, <laughs> you know, it's live. It's always live. The Far Hills Races is live. It's, you know, you just got to make sure you got an incredible team behind you or in front of you to uh, pull it all off and make sure that all the mistakes are so minuscule and small, nobody notices them. <laughs> I love it. And uh, <laughs> all right, perfect. That's great stuff. And uh, thanks for your time. And uh, anything else you want to add for on on behalf of steeplechasing? Uh, just to again to people who who've never been, how do you get them to come? Once you show up, you're hooked because it is so exciting. It complements flat racing incredibly well. The horse itself, they're so well taken care of. They live on the farm. The owners and trainers just love them. I mean, that's as you know, that's why. We have very, very few claiming races because the owners love the horse. But once you go and, and the excitement of watching them race and so on and so forth, you'll get hooked. You'll keep coming back. <laughs> love it. Awesome. Thanks for your time. We've uh, been chatting about steeplechasing, Christmas trees, and a little bit of everything with Guy Torsalieri, and uh, we'll see you at the races. You bet. Take care. All right. See you. Thanks. Jumping Around is a production of ThisIsHorseRacing.com, home of original content about flat and steeplechase racing from Fairhill, Saratoga, and everywhere in between. You can subscribe to our podcast by searching for This Is Horse Racing on your favorite podcast app. This episode was recorded and produced at Howling Wolf Recording Studio in Baltimore, Maryland. Special thanks to our sponsors, Brown Advisory and the Maryland Horse Industry Board, and executive producer, Charlie Fenwick.